Good to see you all. Well done coming out on this awful day and night with this awful weather. Uh, you'll need, have your Bibles over to Matthew 5. That's where we're going to be spending a fair bit of our time. Uh, you'll also need your outline, especially tonight. It's a bit of a different style of talk and that'll be really helpful for you. But now I'm going to pray. Uh, and put up your hand if you need someone to get you an outline or a Bible. Uh, but now I'm going to pray before we start. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but instead you have spoken to us most wonderfully and finally through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you also that you spoke to Moses all those years ago on Mount Sinai and gave him these Ten Commandments. Uh, and we pray that tonight and over these coming weeks, we might really be able to work together to understand how this ancient word speaks to us today and offers us life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as I said, we're starting our, uh, our year off looking at the Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus chapter 20, and it's actually impossible to sort of overstate how important the Ten Commandments are just in the general history of the world. But basically, all our legal systems in the world today go back to this. You, you know, that's how important the Ten Commandments are. It, it is the most important legal document, if you can call two bits of stone, a, a document, but it's the most important legal document ever written. That, this, is, this is massive. But interestingly, I reckon if I asked most people today to just list out the Ten Commandments, they probably couldn't. Uh, even non-Christians, 20 years ago, a really common response when you asked someone, are you a Christian? A really common response was, yes, because I live by the Ten Commandments. You then ask them, what are those Ten Commandments? And they, they stumble at that point. But, but it was a really common sort of thought that the Ten Commandments is the best answer for how to live a good life. Now, if someone answered like that, immediately you knew they weren't a Christian because you're not saved by keeping God's law. You're not saved by what you do. How are you saved? By, that's one of you to answer. How, how are you saved? By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved, not by what you do, not by keeping God's law. So straight away, if someone answered like that, you knew they weren't a Christian, but at least they knew that the Ten Commandments were important, that the Ten Commandments were a good guide on how to live a good life, that sort of idea. That's the world. Christians, every Christian, until maybe 30 years ago, throughout most of church history, every Christian knew the Ten Commandments. Now, we've just had them read to us, but I still wonder if I said now, if I asked here, hey, everyone, let's list out the Ten Commandments together, I'm not certain how well we'd go. Uh, is that fair? In fact, I asked that question of our parish council on uh, Tuesday night, and there was sort of an uncomfortable silence amongst our parish council. I said, who's going who's to do it? And uh, Ray Webb, who goes to our 8.30 congregation, uh, she just came out of nowhere and nailed it. Uh, but she didn't get the order right, but she got the gist of the, the Ten Commandments. And there were, it was obvious the thankfulness of the other parish councillors that she had, had taken that pressure off them. But we need to ask, is that a problem? You know, why I think it is. So why do I think that the lack of knowledge of modern-day Christians of the Ten Commandments is a bit sad? Well, I think it's sad because, first of all, knowing the Ten Commandments is fundamental to understanding the character of our God. That, that's the first thing. Actually, knowing the, the Ten Commandments... Is, is how you understand the, the nature of God. More than that, knowing the Ten Commandments is actually fundamental to understanding ourselves, and in particular, the reality of our sin, the reality of how far short we fall of God's fundamental standards. And more than that, it's fundamental to understanding how to live now 
as a child of God, as a saved Christian, uh, which I think makes them pretty important. So I got two goals over this 11 weeks. You got homework for this 11 weeks. And I, I know it's 10 commandments, 11 weeks. Tonight's the overview and then one week on each of the commandments. But my first goal is I want every person here to know the 10 commandments off by heart by 11 weeks time. Okay, so that's the first goal. I want every person here to know the Ten Commandments, so that when I ask that question, you can just go, bang, here they are, Ten Commandments. But more than that, and my second goal, I want you to love them. That's, that's my goal for this series. I want you to delight in them. You know how the, the, the Psalms talk about David delighting in the law of God? I want that to be us. I want us to, to love God's law and see how wonderful it is. So that's, that's our goal, okay, for the next 11 weeks. So let's do it now. Uh, and I want to start by asking the question of why... Why is it that Christians today don't know the Ten Commandments like Christians of yesteryear did? Why is that, do you think? You might have some thoughts. I wonder if it's partially just that generally Christians just don't know their Bibles as well as Christians did 30 years ago. So learning the Bible off by heart has, has gone out of fashion. Uh, and so kids at Sunday school learn memory verses, but adults don't do that anymore. So I think that might be part of it. I think particularly the Old Testament, I think many Christians struggle in their Old Testament. I've had conversations with loads of you guys about how, yeah, yeah, I like reading the New Testament, but when I get into the Old Testament, I get a bit lost. And if that's you, then I want to say, do something about that. Don't just sort of sit around for another year and say, yeah, I really struggle reading the Old Testament. Do something about it. Uh, sign up for the intro to the Bible course later in the year. Read your Old Testament, ask questions about it, but don't just keep continuing like that. But I think there's another reason why Christians don't know the Ten Commandments as well, and it's actually a theological reason. Uh, lots of Christians I talk to say, well, I'm saved by grace. It, it, it's a free gift of God. Absolutely true. Don't want to dispute that at all. And they say, and I accept that gift by faith, not by works. Again, absolutely true. I trust in Jesus, not what I do to be saved, so I don't have to keep the law to be saved. Now, that is all absolutely right. That is absolutely true. We don't need to keep the law to be saved. That's why we don't have a temple. That's why we don't make sacrifices. That's why we didn't put a tiled area here so we'd hose out all the blood every Sunday. And I'm very thankful for that as the person who cleans up at the end. You, you know, that's why you're free to eat bacon, as I remind you regularly and encourage you to feed it to me. You, you know. uh, for the men, be very thankful if you become a Christian as an adult. You don't need to get circumcised to become a part of the people of God. You, you know, that's because we're not under the law anymore. Just That's absolutely true. But then people say, well, because of that, then why would I bother? Why would I bother learning and looking at the Old Testament? Well, why would I look at the Ten Commandments if it doesn't it save me? Well, I want to tell you there's a really simple reason why we should bother, and it's because Jesus told us to. So come with me now to Matthew chapter 5, that second reading. Uh, we had before, verses 17 to 20. Now, what's the context here? We've got to get the context right. Jesus has been going around and he's been doing all sorts of things that have upset the Pharisees, upset the religious Jews. And in particular, he's been saying things like, you don't need the temple anymore. There's not going to be one stone left on another on that temple. He's been, say, he's been telling his disciples it's okay to pick a bit of grain and eat it on the Sabbath. The Pharisees say, that's working. He heals a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees say, that's breaking the law. And the Pharisees say, look, this Jesus, he is encouraging people to break God's Old Testament law, to break the Ten Commandments. And he's setting up a new religion which goes against God's law, which goes against the Ten Commandments. 
Well, this is Jesus' answer, verse 17. He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Now, what's Jesus saying there? I think he's making it very clear. He's saying, I'm not against the Old Testament. If you think I'm against the Old Testament law, you're wrong. Jesus would say to us, if you think being a Christian means you shouldn't be reading the Ten Commandments, then then there's something wrong with your understanding of of, of who I am. He's saying, don't you dare stop listening to the law. Don't you dare stop listening to the Ten Commandments. Until I return, Jesus says, until I bring about a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, not one cross on a T, not one dot on an I is going to disappear from this Old Testament law. That's how important it is. I'm not getting rid of it. In fact, it's so important. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That makes it pretty important, doesn't it? And then he says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the commands of the law. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. So all up, Jesus seems to be saying that knowing these laws and keeping them is pretty important. Don't you think? But there's a key thing to notice here. What is it? Well, Jesus says that how we read and follow these laws has changed because of his arrival. You see, it needs to change because of the coming of Jesus. Go back to verse 17, and there's a key word there. He says, Don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's the key word fulfill. See, we need to listen to God's law, we need to obey God's law, we need to live by God's law, but we first need to understand it correctly as fulfilled by Jesus, in the light of Jesus. And so that brings us to a really important question, which is, how does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament law? I'm sorry this is a bit of a lecture tonight, but I hope you're finding it helpful, and without all this, The next 10 weeks, we could go in all sorts of wrong directions and misunderstand God's Word. So it's laying the groundwork. So how does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament law? Well, the New Testament, the whole New Testament, especially Jesus in John's Gospel, especially all of the Apostle Paul's letters, and especially the book of Hebrews, they tell us how all the different parts of the Old Testament law are fulfilled by Jesus. And we could trace through each part of the law and see how that happens, and we do that when we preach books of the Old Testament, but we'd take a hundred years if we sort of went through each law one by one to do that. So biblical scholars agree that there are three sort of categories you can put the law into, three broad categories that are useful for understanding the law. Uh, And the first is what we call the civil laws. Sorry for those of you who study law who think you're at a lecture at university, but uh, uh, what are the civil laws? They're the laws about how Israel ran. They're the laws about how the king was meant to work. They're laws about how you have judges, about fair trials and all that sort of stuff. Now, the New Testament tells us we don't just apply them straight to ourselves today. Now, why is that? It's because they were pointing forward to the true king who would bring about the true people of God in the future, who is, of course, Jesus. So they're pointing forward to Christ and they're pointing forward to a new people of God that he would establish, and that people is not a nation anymore. The the people of God is not a a place in Palestine. 
It's not a group of people from one ethnic background. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this earth. No, the New Testament people of God is the church. And it's made up of people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. So God's kingdom doesn't spread by King David expanding the boundaries of Israel anymore. How does God's kingdom spread now? By us preaching the gospel. By us inviting people to hear the good news at the life course in a couple of weeks. God's kingdom spreads as people come to believe in Jesus. So these civil laws in the Old Testament, they were meant to point us forward to our true king, to the Messiah, to Jesus. They don't disappear now that he's come, they're still useful to us. They're useful because, first of all, they help us understand Jesus better. So you see, when you read the laws of the Old Testament, you realise, hang on, the Messiah is our king, not just our sort of tolerant friend. And he will one day come to judge, to establish his kingdom forever. And it will be a place of justice and it will be a place of fairness like all these laws point us to. More than that, they're useful to us because they show us an example of what a God-centred society should look like. So they show us what God's view of justice is. Just as an example, you know that idea that if one person has something against you, he can't take you to court unless he finds someone else who saw you doing wrong? That idea that you need two witnesses to prove someone guilty, that comes from the Old Testament law. And that's enshrined in our law because it comes from the Old Testament law. And it's interesting, as our legal system has moved away further and further from what it was based on, which is the Old Testament law, I think you would struggle to say that our legal system has improved, wouldn't you? I think you'd struggle to say our society has improved and become more fair. So that's the civil laws fulfilled in Christ. Then there's the ceremonial laws. These are the laws you think about when you think of the Old Testament laws. So what are the ceremonial laws? It's things like food laws, don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish. Laws about the temple, laws about the tabernacle, laws about sacrifices of goats and bulls, laws about priests, laws about all that sort of stuff. And again, the New Testament tells us their time has gone because they have been fulfilled by Jesus. So we don't need a temple anymore, do we? We don't go to a temple. This building is not holy ground. We don't go to a temple because you meet God in Jesus Christ, not in some building, by trusting in Jesus. We don't need a priest anymore. You know, I always tell you, don't call me a priest, and some of you then do it just to annoy me. Well, you don't need a priest. Why? Because Jesus stands between you and God. Jesus is the one mediator between us and God. You don't need anyone else. We don't need sacrifices of goats and lambs anymore. Why not? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who died to take away your sins. You see the fulfillment of these laws most wonderfully in the book of Hebrews. If you want to explore this further, just read the book of Hebrews. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, every, it's talking about the Old Testament priests. It says, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. See how wonderful that is? Do you see how the Old Testament law is fulfilled by Christ? They had to kill goat after goat, after lamb, after lamb, after cow, after dove, after whatever else. The priest must have just got sick of it because it could never take away our sins. But Jesus' death, once for all, pays the price for our sins. Or circumcision. You don't need to get circumcised anymore because the symbol isn't in our flesh, 
we've now got a circumcised heart because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And food, all food is clean now, praise God, because our distinctiveness is shown by our faith in Jesus and how we live, not by eating something different to other people. And the po- I could go on and on, but the point is, yes, those laws don't apply to us anymore. But the Apostle Paul says, make sure you don't go back to, to following those laws. You'd be denying the gospel if you did. But they're still useful for us. We still love reading them because as we read them, they help us understand Jesus better. We see them fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, I think you cannot understand Jesus' death for you without the Old Testament sacrificial laws. We have no idea why Jesus had to die unless you understand the reality of sin and the fact that it needs blood spilt to pay for it that we get from the Old Testament. In fact, in my experience preaching, nothing is more exciting and wonderful for a Christian. You, you don't ever see anything like oh, people going, wow, that's amazing as much as when people come to understand the way these strange and obscure ceremonial laws in the Old Testament find their fulfilment in Christ. Every time we do intro to the Bible, people just say, this is amazing. I now, I understand my Bible like I didn't before. So these are the civil laws and ceremonial laws that point us to Jesus, find their fulfilment in Him. Now, if the person next to you has faded a little bit during that part, give them a nudge now, because now we're getting to the part about the Ten Commandments. And it's what we call the moral law, okay? So the last type of laws are moral laws. Now, what do we mean by moral laws? Well, it's laws about what is right and wrong in God's eyes. It's laws about how do you live to please God. It's laws about how to treat one another, laws that Jesus summarised in the two great commandments. What's the first one? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And God's moral law, God's moral standards do not change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the most important thing I'm saying tonight, so I'm going to repeat it and please get it clear in your head. Because out there, people want to say, yeah, 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 God's, God's standards have changed. Things are different now. That is not true. God's moral standards do not change from back then to now because God is perfect and God is unchanging and God is timeless. God isn't on some personal journey of discovery where He's going, now I get it. Oh, I didn't get it before. I was wrong back then, but now I, I understand. God doesn't change His view of what is best for you over time. What is best for humanity back in 1000 BC is still best for humanity in 2020 AD. God doesn't say, you know, I used to think stealing was wrong, but I hadn't anticipated that they'd invent the internet. You know, I didn't realise that they'd come up with, with ways to get movies for free on the internet and music for free. Oh, now, of course, no, stealing's not as bad as it used to be. God doesn't say, I used to think coveting was wrong, but I hadn't anticipated how much, how good those TV shows about renovations would be and, and how people really do need a pool. Every person in Sydney needs a bigger house. Didn't you know that? I hadn't realised those modern people would love real estate so much. No, it's changed. God doesn't say, I used to say sex is a good gift for one man and one woman to bind them together in heterosexual marriage for life. Oh, but I hadn't anticipated that humanity would come up for a way for people to have sex with whoever they want and it not do any damage to them. God's moral standards do not change. God didn't say, I used to think murder was wrong. But now, oh, you don't want that baby, do what you want. God hasn't changed. God has always said all these things are wrong. God knows what is best for us and it does not change over time. 
And that's why the moral law of the Old Testament is restated in the New Testament, because it is still God's Word to us. So with that in mind, it's worth us asking at this point though, how did Jesus then fulfil the moral law of the Old Testament? We've thought about the other types of law, but what about the moral law? In one sense, the answer to that is really simple. Jesus fulfilled it by being the one person in history who actually did it. That's how he fulfilled it. He's the one person in history who actually kept God's law perfectly. He actually did love God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. He actually did love his neighbour as himself, even to the point of dying for our sins. And of course, it's only because he did keep the law that he could pay the price for our sin. I hope you realise this. It's only because Jesus was perfect. If Jesus was a sinner, well, his death would pay for his sin. But because he is without sin, he could pay the price for our sin. So Jesus fulfils the moral law by doing it, by living it out. And he did something else as well, though. He showed us the full extent of God's morality, of God's moral law. See, if you'd asked the Pharisees, do you keep the Ten Commandments? They would have said, I have kept them perfectly. They would have said, I've I've kept them perfectly. Because what they did was they minimised the Ten Commandments to make it keepable, that's a word. They said, yep, only one God. Yeah, I don't worship any other gods. Tick. Uh, Yeah, no idols. There's no idols I can see in our house. Good. Tick. Uh, No murder. Yeah, I haven't killed anyone. Got close, but haven't killed anyone. Tick. You know, no no adultery. I haven't slept with them. Tick. Jesus said, that is not obeying the law. Jesus said, God's not interested in in you ticking the boxes and keeping the, the minimum standard. He's interested in hearts that love and serve our Heavenly Father. Have you still got Matthew 5 open? Look down at verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Or down to verse 27. It says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he might have just as easily said, don't tell me that you only worship one God and don't have any idols when I can see by the way you use your time that you really worship money. Or or he might have said, don't tell me you don't steal when I see no generosity in, in the way you use all the things God has given you. And he could have gone on and on and I hope you see the point. Jesus is saying, the law is not something to be minimised so you can then tick a box that you've kept it. It's something to show you how to live to please God. You see, I'm interested in what's going on here, in your heart. Jesus shows the law is something not to be made easy, but something to show us how wide and all-encompassing it actually is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and how wide and all-encompassing it is to love your neighbour as yourself. So with that in mind, my last segment of tonight's talk, how do we read and apply the moral law, which the majority, if not all, of the Ten Commandments are? How do we read and apply that to ourselves? I've got three final points, you'll see them on your outline. The first is a negative point, and that is, whatever you do, do not see it as a way to earn God's love. We do not keep God's law out of fear. We don't keep God's law to earn our way into heaven. Our obedience is only ever a response to God's love, not to earn it. And it has always been that way. 
See, sometimes people say, oh, I love the fact that I'm in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, they had to keep God's law to be saved, whereas we're saved by faith. No, they were saved by faith just like we are. The law follows grace. Come back to Exodus 20. We're finally at the Ten Commandments in my last two minutes. Come back. Exodus, second book of the Bible. If you get to Genesis, turn right. Anywhere else, turn left. Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments start at, uh, actually don't start until verse 3, as in the commandments bits. There's verses 1 and 2, first of all. And look there, it says, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And then he says the first command, do not have other gods besides me. I hope you see the order. This is so important. This is the essence of the gospel, the order here. God didn't go to the people in slavery in Egypt and say, stop working on Saturdays and then I might save you. God didn't go to them and say, smash your idols, start doing a better job, pull up your socks and then I'll save you. No, he saved them, even though most of them didn't even know who he was. Most of them had forgotten him. And then he said, now that I've saved you, now come and live for me. Now come and follow me. Now here is how to live to please me. And that is the same for us, and I hope you know that. What does Romans chapter 5 say? Look on the screen. It says, for while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you see that. We do not earn God's love by keeping his law. It's while we were helpless, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Which means as we look at these Ten Commandments, whatever you do, please don't read them as a guide for how to earn God's love. That's the first point. But that leads to the two great positive uses of the law for us. So the first positive use is they don't show us how to earn God's love, instead they show us how much we need God's love. That's the point. So as we look at each of the commandments over the next 10 weeks, the first thing it will actually do to us is show us our sin. That's what they'll do. They'll, they'll be like a spotlight showing the darkness of our hearts. That's what they are. But only if you read it like Jesus says, not like the Pharisees. If you read it like a Pharisee, you'll just go tick, 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 you know. If you read it like Jesus, you'll say, I, God is not my only God. There are so many idols in my life. All too often, I'm tempted to hate people. And if you only heard the things that went on in here, then you'd see the reality of my adultery. You see, we'll look at the command about having no other gods and we realise, how often do I put other things in front of God? We'll look at the command about murder and we'll say, how often do, do I think awful thoughts about people and sometimes even say them? And we'll look at the command about coveting and we'll say, how often am I not content with what God has given me? The law exposes the reality of our sinful hearts. That's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 7. Have a look with me. He says, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. See, the law exposes our sin and shows us our guilt before God. And in fact, what Paul's saying there is it even creates sin in us because it's like, I wouldn't have thought of coveting, but now you've said God doesn't want me to do it. My sinful heart wants to do it. That's how funny and twisted our hearts are. And so, in fact, over the next 10 weeks, uh, if you sit there listening to each command and you are unmoved and unchallenged, thinking, I'm all right with that one, I want to say to you, that should set alarm bells ringing in your head. 
If you think, oh, I've got that one under control, because that says you're a Pharisee rather than a Christian. Instead, I pray, what it does is it exposes the sin in us all, but not to make us feel guilty, no, to drive us to repentance, and especially to drive us to see just how much we need Jesus and His forgiveness. So my prayer is it'll make you overflow with thankfulness, that despite my sin, God loves me. Despite my sin, Jesus died to save me. That is the first use of the law, to expose the reality of our hearts, to expose the sin in them and show us our need for Jesus. And then, and this is the final use of the law, it then and only then shows us how to live to please God. You see, we have been saved to be obedient. Don't ever forget that. You know, in Ephesians 2, when it's talking about how you're saved by grace, through faith, not by works, that no one can boast, you then get verse 10, in order to do the good works God has prepared in advance for you to do. We are saved to live lives that honour and please God. And so as we read God's moral standards, the Ten Commandments, we let Jesus in the New Testament expand it for us, we let Jesus help us understand it better, and then we say, even though I will fail because I'm a sinner, even so, this is how I'm going to live. This is my guide. I am going to live this way. Not reluctantly to earn God's love, not out of obligation like a Pharisee to tick a box, but joyfully, because we say, God is my Father who loves me. Of course I want to live His way. Joyfully, because we say, I am His child. Of course I want to live for Him. The Christian who knows God, the Christian who knows the reality of their sin, the Christian who really knows the love of Jesus, that person actually loves and delights in the Ten Commandments. And that's my prayer for us over these next 10 weeks. So let's pray right now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have spoken to us and we thank You for these 10 words first spoken to Moses all those years ago. And we pray that we will not see them as some awful rule book to be followed reluctantly, we pray that we won't minimise them like a Pharisee and then boast about how we keep them. But instead, we pray that we will allow them to expose the reality of the sin in our hearts and so show us just how wonderful it is that Jesus has paid for that sin. And then we will let them be our guide for how to live to please you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.